Live from the capital of the Commonwealth, this is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. the best team in major league baseball is as we speak at a couple minutes after four on the 28th of june 2023 it is not it is no longer those tampa bay rays who got off to that great start this season and are still playing just about 660 baseball 54 and 28 no, by virtue of their 3 nothing victory over the Minnesota Twins today and a three-game sweep of the Twinkies and a Matt Olson home run. You heard the call on television from Bally Sports there, Brandon Gauden. The Atlanta Braves now with a winning percentage of 663, 53-27, now own the best record in Major League Baseball. And I think it reflects the best team in Major League Baseball. All due respect to the Tampa Bay Rays. My Phillies are getting set to go to Tampa Bay in a little bit here, so I don't want to speak too loudly. But the Atlanta Braves are clearly the best team in baseball right now. They're playing the best baseball in all of Major League Baseball right now. They have won five in a row, nine of ten. They get a day off tomorrow, and then they get a weekend so-called showdown with the Miami Marlins at Truist Park in Atlanta. Miami, the second-place team in the NL East, still seven games back. It seems the more Miami and Philadelphia win, and they've been winning. Both the Marlins and the Phillies are playing 700 ball over the last ten games They're losing ground. The problem is the Atlanta Braves are playing 900 ball over the last 10 games. Miami is still seven back. Philly is 11 back. And how about the Mets? I mean the Mets, AJ. Yeah, 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 the Mets. The Mets. The New York Mets. 16 and a half out of first place in the National League East. Wow. The Atlanta Braves are just making a mockery of this thing right now. And it doesn't matter who they put out there. They get the job done. I mean, they pitched a shutout today with Allard Yates Minter, Jimenez Iglesias. Those were the pitchers that Brian Snicker used today in a shutout, a four-hit shutout with 14 strikeouts. Now, there's some good pitchers in there. I mean, Minter's been doing this for a long time. Iglesias has 13 saves now. But Allard started that game. He came within one out of getting the win. Gave up only three hits, one walk, eight strikeouts. And just because they're so deep and so rested in their bullpen, Brian Snicker can be a little bit liberal and just go to the pen. Why not? Yates got the win. Minter got the hold. Iglesias got the save. 
They 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 strike out 14 along the way, and Matt Olson just continues to absolutely excel. Uh, welcome to the Sports Huddle. Bob Black with you here on a Wednesday afternoon and a relatively busy Wednesday afternoon. Not so much with what's going on, you know, in the venues, on the fields, although there's plenty of baseball to talk about. But there's just some other things going on today, particularly in the college sports world when it pertains to legal matters, which we're going to get into it a little bit, and schedules. Some schedules have come out, or at least uh, the makings of schedules have come out. And fans, me included, um, as a guy who's in the business, always likes to take a look and see where we're going, who's coming to play at our place, that sort of thing. So we're going to get into that a little bit today as well. So we do have a lot of a lot of interesting stuff to get to uh, this afternoon. But I did want to start with the Braves because you got to tip your cap to them. And, heck, we air them right here on 1061 ESPN. You heard the game this afternoon. It's why you didn't hear Matt Joseph with Border to Border because we had the Braves game and the postgame show on today um as well and uh man we're happy we got the braves because we got a championship quality team on our airwaves make no mistake about it And as i've said several times particularly this week um the proof is really going to come the test will really come in october to see if atlanta can carry over what they're doing in the regular season into the postseason but my point being a moment ago was on matt olson the braves first base remember when atlanta gave up on freddie freeman and he wound up going to the Dodgers, and I think a lot of Braves fans thought maybe the sky was falling in on them. The face of the franchise was gone. What were they going to do? Well, Atlanta went out and got Matt Olson from Oakland, and he has made a lot of people already kind of forget about Freddie Freeman. Even though Freeman's having a great season, he's hitting great, he's amongst the league leaders in hits, uh, he's leading that Dodger team. He's kind of becoming the face of the Dodgers, along with guys like Clayton Kershaw and Mookie Betts out there in L.A. But on the other coast, you know, Matt Olson plays in a little bit more anonymity than Freeman does. And Olson's only hitting two thirty-seven, but he's leading the National League in home runs now with 26. He's leading the National League in runs batted in with 62. And he's in a duel, ironically enough, with Freddie Freeman to be the starting first baseman on the National League All-Star team. I love Freddie Freeman. I love the fact, first of all, that he's in Los Angeles playing for the Dodgers, and he's not in the same division with my team anymore. But, I mean, I think you got to give it up to Matt Olson. I know he's only hitting like 237, but that is a productive 237 with 26 homers, got number 26 today, and 62 runs batted in so you just got to give it up uh to the braves i mean look atlanta gave up three runs in the three games in this series against minnesota now look the twins are not a great team but they're not the nationals uh they're 40 and 42 so they're not terrible they're mediocre and the braves did what a good championship team does and they beat them and they shut them down four to one six to two and then three to nothing um, today to wrap up the series. Five pitchers combining on a four-hit shutout today, and Olsen had an RBI double and the home run, and the Braves just, well, they just keep on rolling. And as I said, Miami keeps winning, and Philly keeps winning, and yet they keep losing ground on the Atlanta Braves. Some of that will change a little bit over the weekend because the Braves do host the Miami Marlins, and that should be some fun. In Atlanta this weekend, although the Braves are, you know, relatively long distance ahead of even the Marlins 
in the uh, in the National League East. All right, there you go. That kind of gets our show started this afternoon. I'm going to stay on schedule, if not a little bit, ahead of schedule because we do have a guest coming up at 4.15. I'm really excited to bring back on our airwaves considering some of the news coming out of college athletics and the NCAA. So we're going to stay pretty much um, right on point. But while I am talking baseball real quick, um, on a local level, just got this note from our buddy Trey Wilson over at the Flying Squirrels. Um, This is no great surprise, but the 4th of July game for the Flying Squirrels is now sold out uh, with the fireworks and all of that. And they've done that every year since they've been here. Now they're also going to do fireworks on Thursday the 6th and Saturday the 8th, and there are tickets available for that one. But the July 4th game at the Diamond is once again sold out uh, the game at 635 against Bowie. Gates will open at 5 o'clock. So just wanted to pass that along. Kudos to Parney and everybody over there at the Squirrels again for getting the 4th of July game. I was talking with John O'Connor today. I think he's getting ready to do something on um, year in, year out, 4th of July celebration and selling out at the Diamond and, and all of that. But somehow the Squirrels, and I know why, because they sell it out every year, but they have convinced the Eastern League that it's in everybody's best interests to have the squirrels at home on the 4th of July, and that's happened. When I was doing the Richmond Braves games way back in the day, I feel like more often than not they were home, and more often than not they shared that with the old Tidewater team, now Norfolk, the tides down there, where they could commute back and forth, and they would play like July 3rd and July 4th in one city and the other day in the other, so they could go back and forth, and both teams could celebrate the 4th of July either on the 3rd or the 4th. But it's become a staple, a mainstay in the Eastern League, that the Flying Squirrels are home, and they sell out the 4th of July, and they have great fireworks, and that's going to be the case again this year. Just announced by the Flying Squirrels, 4th of July game with fireworks is sold out. All right, here we go. The Sports Huddle, the midweek edition on a Wednesday afternoon. Here's what's coming up on today's Sports Huddle. This is a huge fan of sports. This is the River City Rundown. Just testing my guy AJ a little bit there. You know, he wasn't there yesterday. We had the rookie Mitchell Bradley in. I think he was flawless through my show. I think he had one little glitch in Matt's show, but was flawless through my show. So like riding a bicycle, he remembered how to do it. But it's good to have A.J. back, and he's teaching a new rookie today as well. So I just thought I'd test him a little bit by just kind of stopping talking and see if he could hit the button on time. That was great because I was like, watch this. He's going to cue it in different ways. So that was perfect. I did it to Mitchell yesterday, too, just to see if he still had it. And as I said on the air, it was tight. In broadcast vernacular, it was tight. We didn't have dead air. And you you succeeded as well. You passed with flying colors as you get us into our River City Rundown, which is brought to you by our friends of the Richmond chapter of the American Red Cross, urging you to support the local RVA community. Volunteer your services if you can. Donate blood if you can to the Red Cross. To learn how you can help during this critical time, visit redcross.com. All right, the NCAA came out with this big memo and announcement on Tuesday about how its schools had to follow their laws, their rules, and not the state's laws or the state's rules when it comes to NIL. And, you know, that sent everybody into a tizzy, believe me, meaning, oh, we, we've got to follow the rules of this private organization over the state rules? you got to be kidding me. Um, so we're going to find out a little bit more about that. Our guy Dan Lust is going to join us here in just a couple of moments. Sports attorney, you've heard him 
on other ESPN programming and ESPN nationally and Fox Sports and CBS. He's got his own podcast, and he comes on our show on a relatively regular basis, and he's got some time for us coming up right after the break. So we're going to have an opportunity to talk to him, see if he can sort all of that out, and maybe some other issues that plague the NCAA in this day and age as well. So Dan Lust coming up at 4.15 this afternoon. Other than that, we are pretty much wide open today. I've got some interesting topics, at least I think they're somewhat interesting topics. We've got all this schedule news from college basketball I want to get to and much more. 804-327-0888. If you'd like to interact and be on the program with us today as well, we'd love to have you join us. That's on the air, or you can text us, 327-0888. All right, sports law is our topic when we come back, and Dan Lust will join us. He's our first guest on the Wednesday Sports Huddle. He's up with us next on 1061 ESPN. We know it all too well, and we know the solution. Find us on stream anytime at ESPNRichmond.com and on iHeartRadio at 1061 ESPN Richmond. Black back with you, Sports Huddle, 1061 ESPN here in Richmond at about 417. Um, we're going to get into a guest right now, and we're going to talk about what we've been talking about for the last couple of days, but he's going to provide a different perspective and an awful lot more knowledge than we've been able to over the last uh, couple of days or so. And he's been on this program on a relatively regular basis, although he hasn't been with us in a while, so it's great to have him back with us. Uh, Dan Lust, our sports attorney. You hear him on ESPN nationally. He's been on other national shows on CBS and Fox, has his podcast, teaches law up there in the New York City area, and he joins us this afternoon. Dan, thank you for spending some time with us. How are you? How you been? I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's been, uh, it was like a quiet Monday, and then Tuesday, um, everything exploded. So, yeah, week's been okay. Yeah, absolutely. It makes the week go faster, and we appreciate you spending some of it with us this afternoon. All right, so so the gist of this thing, this memo that comes out uh, Tuesday from the NCAA basically says that, remember, the NCAA says schools must adhere to NCAA rules or policy or legislation, even if it conflicts with state laws, thinly veiled to be talking about NIL, of course. So if a state law allows schools to do certain things with NIL, if the NCAA says you can't, you got to follow the NCAA rule. What was what was behind this, Dan? What What's the motive of the NCAA in this situation? Well, I guess we can unpack it because, you know, I, I had some, uh, as, as I think you guys know, I have some kind of tongue-in-cheek comments. Like, who, like and I said, the NCAA law, if you just – talking about the rules of a private association, it's certainly going to be less important than a state law that directly contradicts it. So that's, that's kind of where, where we start the conversation. Um, you know, part of this memo, it, it essentially said that, you know, we, we are asking you to comply with NCA law as a kind of condition of your membership in this association. So what the NCA is saying, essentially, is like, listen, these are the rules. You're part of a voluntary association. If you want to continue to be a part of it, you have to, you know, either... Follow what we're asking you to do, or you can leave. So, you know, in, in that sense, it, it seems to be inviting, right, like, I guess at a, at a really high level, some form of an antitrust violation or some form of an antitrust inquiry. You can't just, as a private association, pass whatever laws that you want or rules that you want and expect that to fly. I mean, we can talk about discrimination or, or anything, right? Just because a private association tells you these are the rules or you have to leave doesn't mean it's okay, but... I guess the NCAA is playing a, a little bit of a game of chicken here. 
Uh, follow Dan on Twitter, and you can get even more on this, and he's going to dive into it, as he's been doing, at Sports Law Lust on Twitter. He's got a great thread about all of that. As you were kind of, you know, detailing that, the first thing that came to my mind was, that sounds okay if I'm like a family at the local swim club and they tell me what I can do or can't do or I don't have to be a member of the swim club. But at the NCAA level, I, I feel like that's so unrealistic. I wonder why they even did it, Dan. Well, I mean, I, I have my thoughts. I mean, like, you know, right right now the NCAA is in this weird battle, and they've this has happened now to them twice, right? The first one was at the beginning of the NIL era. There was, this is going back to now, to November of 2019, California was the first state in the country that allowed, you know, NIL. And that's a way of saying student athletes couldn't be punished under California's law if they got money. So like Stanford and USC and UCLA, they were not legally allowed to punish student athletes. So the NCAA didn't do anything. Uh, you know, that law, the, you know, California was going to have this weird advantage. And, you know, you heard some weird comments from ADs and whatnot. But, you know, over the next year and a half, when basically – Half the states in our country, about 25 states, had passed NIL laws. All of a sudden, the NCAA popped up and said, you know what? I think now it's time to waive our bylaw that separately would have allowed us to punish, uh, you know, for student-athletes receiving compensation. So I, I think the move, if we're getting really technical, I think the NCAA is just trying to buy their time. And I think they're hoping that, you know, maybe some more conservative schools, uh, which kind of had cover under New York's law, Oklahoma's law, you know, the Texas law is about to go into effect. You know, from doing, from helping athletes get deals, and now those conservative schools seeing this memo, they're like, "Well, I'm certainly not going to be the one to get punished by the NCA." Uh, so I think they're they're hoping it slows schools down enough. Um, so one of two things happen: you know, you get 20 states that pass a version of this law that we're seeing, or alternatively, like the federal law comes about in like six months. But I think the NCA is just trying trying to buy themselves some time here. Boy, you just hit on something, Dan. Can that realistically happen? Can we have, and Charlie Baker taking over the NCA? that was certainly his primary purpose. His primary goal was to get some unified legislation, right? Can we really have some sort of federal legislation in a six-month window coming here or not? Um, you know, six months might be pushing it. I, I think you're probably more in the range of a year or two. If it happens sooner, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. The NCAA is putting all of their all of their efforts, and it's not just the NCAA, the conference commissioners, everyone headed down to, to D.C., even the collectives. So I think there's there's some real movement on a federal bill, but, you know, I, I thought we were potentially getting close. And two years ago, Congress had two back-to-back hearings at NIL pre-July 1st of 2021. Um, and, uh, you know, they brought in the big guns. They brought in Mark Emmert. They brought in everyone in Congress. Just didn't want to do it. So, you know, I think that's anyone's guess. But... To your point, Bob, I, I, that's the NCAA is putting all of their eggs in that basket. I, I don't think they're really inclined to move until, you know, I don't know what happens first, a federal bill or like 25 states pass a version of the law that says that schools can actively get involved. And I, and I think that's what the NCAA is fearful of, that you're going to have half, half the states in the NCAA can, you know, half the schools in the NCAA can actually help facilitate deals and the other half can't. That's, that's a, you know, sitting for a competitive advantage, but... You know, then again, that's what state law allows. That's a tough way to survive in college athletics when you got half the country using one set of rules and the other half a different set of rules. How are we on that right now, Dan? I mean, with the states that, that do have legislation and those those that don't, that seems like a very difficult thing to work through. You know, it's like 
this is such a technical discussion. I mean, it's, it's important, but it's like you, you hate that, that politicians at some level and lobbying is controlling what, what advantages schools can have. I mean, the truth is, in, in, at least as of right now, as we're you know, still in the nascent era of, uh, of NIL, like, you know, I, I think schools are going to do what they want, even if there is no, some schools, even if there is no state law. Like Texas A&M has this, um, you know, some, somewhat of an in-house collective. Like the school is helping run a version of a collective and they're giving, uh, you know, it's, again, these reporters and reports and whatnot, but there's some kind of involvement with the school, it seems, or they're providing ticket packages if you, you know, contribute to the collective. And the NCAA doesn't want it. Right now, Texas, until July 1st, they don't have an NIL law or they don't have a state law that protects it. But Texas has been doing it. Texas A&M has been doing it in any of them. So... Yeah, I think schools would love to have cover from a state law. But the truth is, Bob, if the schools want to do it right now, they're doing it. And we've seen, with the exception of a little blip on the radar, um, you know, for a Miami women's basketball punishment, mm-hmm. we've had no punishment in the entirety of the NIL era. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think, I think people don't really buy that the NCAA is going to start enforcing this. You, you kind of talked about this in your thread of, of tweets today, but do you look in the crystal ball here? Do you think we are going to have a school that violates this and eventually we're going to get, you know, we're going to wind up in a courtroom with judges on this? Or, or do you think something will happen that will prohibit that from happening? Well, we've got to assume that the NCAA is going to actually enforce this. Um, so I, I think that's a safe assumption. I mean, I mean, unless they're just completely bluffing, but um yeah, I think where it's going to happen, someone's going to get dinged on the NCA. NCA is going to have to make an affirmative move to try to punish someone, and a school is going to have to fight it. They're not going to take a negotiated resolution like Miami did. Right? Miami agreed to the punishment that they got, the you know little slap on the wrist. And the school is going to really have to push it. Um, and, you know, and then it, I guess it depends on the specifics of the of the state law in question. But you know, maybe there's a world where the attorney general steps up, and I mean. You know, Bob, at the end of the day, this, the state laws say that the NCAA can't prevent a school from doing certain things. Um, and if the NCAA then punishes a school for doing, you know, facilitating or helping locate deals, you can have a real battle um, under the state law. So it's either a state law question, an antitrust question, potentially, if the NCAA having too much power. Um, but I do think we end up there. You know, I, I think it, it's pretty – you could say it's like Texas A&M or Miami or USC or one of these big schools that, that will be the test case. I'm almost thinking that we might even have, like, a smaller school, one that, uh, you know, the NCAA thinks they can get away with punishing first. Hmm. Um, I actually think that's that's probably where we go first with this. Wow. And in the meantime, you figure college athletics just continues to go on the way it is right now. And I know the term wild, wild west has been thrown out there a million times. But do you think for the foreseeable future, you know, college athletics is what college athletics is? Yeah, I mean, it, it I mean, I've said this, like, you know, I, I teach my class. I tell my students, they ask that question. And I said, like, you know, we don't know where the line is. Like, if you have all these rules and they're not being enforced, it's almost like you have no rules at all. And that's the world that we're in. That's why people call it the wild, wild west. Until the sheriff shows up and lays down the law in some sense, you don't know where it is. So, you know, it's not just that the NCAA is saying you have to abide by our laws uh, or else you can, you know, uh, go, go take a hike. It, the NCAA is not enforcing its own rules right now. So nobody really knows where the line is. And the schools that are getting aggressive for the last two years, power to them, they, they have seen really no punishment for it. So, yeah, that's that's where the expression comes from. The sheriff, as much as everyone was applauding Charlie Baker and the new Charlie Baker era as of March 1st, we really haven't seen anything new since then. So I'm, I'm not convinced that, uh, you know, there's certainly a world, put it this way, there's certainly a world where the NCAA is bluffing 
just to buy themselves some more time. So, you know, we'll see. But it, it, it's it's an interesting time for sure. No doubt about it. And maybe even a little bit more interesting, just a minute or so left left with you, Dan. And this literally just popped up as an alert. I know it's been out for a few hours, at least, if not a day or so, on an entirely different topic involving the NCA, And that's all these gambling rules that are now in place because of all the states that allow sports betting. And the headline, I just looked at it, and I'm sure you've, you've had a chance to at least peruse it a little bit. NCA updates punishments for athletes who violate gambling rules. This is a whole nother uh, bag that the NCA has to deal with now, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you, you'd be surprised. Today has been all about the uh, NIL memo. I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with it. You know, when people can kind of parse through it, I, I think the and I go. I know we're short on time, but I, I think NCA's got to make a decision if they want to follow the NFL rule, right, mm-hmm. which speaks to essentially uh, betting on site. You can't do that, or if the NCA wants to make a real world rule where it's just inside information, but. You know, we'll see. I have a sense that the NCAA is going to fall on any betting is bad, which, you know, it is what it is. It is, absolutely. Well, we'll keep you focused on what I know you've been talking about and studying for the last several days, and we appreciate getting your perspective on it um, today on this new NIL and the NCA memo and all of that. Uh, let's not be strangers, Dan. We'll bring you back on as time permits for you and for us, and really appreciate your clarity on this subject this afternoon. Yes, my pleasure. Anytime. You got it. Dan Lust, uh, he, he's terrific. At Sports Law Lust, if you want to follow him on Twitter. And as I said today, he's got a great thread on everything that we were just talking about with examples, um, pulling frequently asked questions out of the NCA memo, all of that. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about it, by all means, I would certainly encourage you to go to at Sports Law Lust. He is Dan Lust, and uh, he's on the national programs, and he's able to fit us in from time to time, including today as well. So greatly appreciate that. All right, he takes us right to the bottom of the hour, and that other topic that just came up was indeed the updates on punishments for athletes who violate the gambling um, legislation and rules. And again, it's legal in many states. It is still, it's another one of those NCAA rules that's still not legal, especially in your own sports sport which obviously makes sense and then there's all sorts of wager related violations go you can go all deep in on that i think there's like 38 states now that have passed sports betting legislation in the last you know five six years or so plus district of columbia i know i know they've got it as well and we've had you know instances obviously the alabama baseball one was not a good look their baseball coach got fired because he was um you know seemingly giving out information you know to two bettors and two gamblers and there was suspicious betting activity iowa had an issue iowa state had an issue um so that one's now in the forefront for the ncaa as well why did charlie baker want this job i think that's the most probing question this whole thing why would you want to be the president of the ncaa right now i mean he's a former governor of massachusetts so he's a politician and you hope he's going to get something done and i think probably the best thing that dan Lutz talked about there was maybe in the six next six months to a year or two years we might have some federal legislation on nil and that will solve a lot of these problems and that's something that a lot of college people athletic directors presidents coaches talked about when it first came about was we need a federal legislation why can't we get that done why is the ncaa dragged its heels to getting some kind of federal legislation done and we would all just follow that whether you're the ncaa whether you're a school whether you're a student athlete you would follow those federal regulations rather than every state having their own which 
you know, makes for an unbalanced, uneven playing field or court. So we'll keep our eyes on that. Let's get a break in here. Bottom of the hour, first hour of the Sports Huddle on a Wednesday afternoon. We're coming back. We're live and local. We're the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. Atlanta's best are on the diamond, and we've got the action live. Every Atlanta Braves broadcast is here on your home for the Atlanta Braves. 1061 ESPN Richmond. Here's... Welcome back. Bob Black back with you here on the Sports Huddle. I'm going to get into the schedule stuff that came out today in college basketball. Um, I kind of surprised myself, you know, after all these years of doing this. I actually got a little stoked today. I got a little excited about about seeing some of these matchups that we're going to talk about and, you know, who you're playing, where you're playing them. I don't know why. Uh, maybe I've talked too much baseball. Do you hear me say that, AJ? Bob has talked too much baseball. Nah, that can't be the case. That can't be the case. And it's not right now because you know what I love to do in the afternoon is give day baseball scores. So I'm going to do that first. Uh, we mentioned already, Braves beat the Twins 3 to nothing. Matt Olson, another big day. Home run, double, knocked in two runs. Leads the National League in homers and RBIs. Have you I, – I just this is kind of a rhetorical question, but folks out there, you could answer it. Have any of you actually filled out a Major League Baseball all-star ballot? Um, I did. Like, I'm old enough to remember the days when you could only get it at the ballpark, and maybe there was some convenience store outlet that hooked on with Major League Baseball, like 7-Eleven, where you could go pick up, you know, it was the card, and you had a pencil, and you poked out, you know, the hanging chads to go back from the uh, Florida in the election. But that's really the way it started with Major League Baseball with fan balloting for the All-Star game. That's how far back I go. I'm sure a lot of you are going, huh, what is he talking about? But they were computer-looking pieces of paper with the names on them, cards, and the ushers and usherettes used to hand them out at the ball game, at the Major League games, and you would sit there in the stands and you'd punch out the little chad of who you wanted for the All-Star game, and it would go into a computer, obviously, and they would count the votes. Um, That's the old way of doing it. Uh, which was a lot of fun. It was it was great. Uh, but now, obviously, you can do it online. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on an app. And I've done it. And now you got to give up some information to do it. That's only that kind of annoys me. But everybody does it in this day and age. You got to put your email in there. You got to put your name. Whatever you know, you can use a fake email. I'm sure you can only vote once a day on that device. But obviously, if you have multiple devices, you can vote more than once if you want to. I don't know if I saved. My ballots, but I voted like three times in the last three days. It was actually kind of fun to do, and it was very easy because it was down to this is phase two of the balloting. The first phase was wide open to everybody. Then they narrowed it down and got to like the semifinalists, and I waited for that. So now it's just, you know, two guys at every position, four or five or six in the outfield. You don't vote for pitchers. Uh, And a couple guys were already in because they were the leading vote getters. Shohei Otani, leading vote getter in the American League. Ronald Acuna in the National League. So they were already slotted in. Otani is the DH in the American League and Acuna in the outfield in the National League. But you voted for everybody else. And it was fun. I've done it three times already in the last three days, once a day on my same device, twice a day if I use the phone and my laptop. And I split it at first base. I voted for both Freeman and uh, Olsen. I think they're both deserving. I think they're both going to be there. It's just a matter of which one of them is going to start. There are so many Atlanta Braves on the ballot. You could have almost, 
you know, at least half of the National League starters could be Atlanta Braves. And I guess when you're the best team in baseball, you deserve that. But I, I mean, I will give you the full disclosure. I want my – well, there's a couple guys that I want to see in the All-Star game, so I voted for them. I'm gonna, I'll pull up the ballot again and, um, and kind of run through it for you. But the main guy that I want, I'm being selfish, is my guy Bryce Harper. I want him to be the DH for the for the Phillies, and it's either him or JD Martinez um, from the Dodgers. So I've gone on each time and voted for Harper as my um, as my National League uh, designated hitter. Um, and and again, I didn't totally do this by statistics, although you certainly could do that because they they give the updated stats of of each guy um, when you go to vote. So uh, you could certainly do that. And I just want Harper to be there. I'm kind of looking at this. I do have my ballot on the last couple of ones. There's another guy who I just want to watch. I want to say, oh, Mike Trout. I'm not sure Mike Trout's total numbers would have him as a starter in the outfield for the American League. Um, But I want to see Mike Trout. He's on the West Coast. He plays for the Angels. We don't see him a lot. I want him in there. Um, So I I voted for him in the – in the American League, just like I voted for Bryce Harper as the DH in the National League. But there were some there were some tough ones. Nolan Arenado or Austin Riley at third base in the National League. I just couldn't have Braves at every position. I wanted to see um, Luis Arise, the Marlin, who's hitting like 400, 399. So I got him at second base. I think he's going to win there. And on this particular ballot, I did have Freddie Freeman from the Dodgers at first base, although I will tell you on my other ones, I had Matt Olson, and that was even before he homered in the game today. So it was really kind of a lot of fun. You can go on MLB.com and vote. It's very easy to do, especially right now where it's down to two. You don't have to worry about you know the entire league um, and picking somebody from each position. It takes, you know, literally took about two minutes to, to get it done. And we'll see how many of them I got right. I voted for Rutschman, Adley Rutschman of the Orioles, uh, to be the catcher. I think he's been a great story, great young player for Baltimore. So it was it was really kind of a lot of fun to do. And I'm hoping my guy Bryce Harper gets in because I voted for him three times. So there. Um, anyway, Braves beat the Twins today 3 to nothing. The Nationals off of a, a really cool win last night. A lot of crazy things happened in their game in Seattle. Our guy Andrew Golden from the Washington Post had a great story about the game today and all the weird things that happened yesterday, and they actually beat the Mariners yesterday, and they're beating them again today. The Nats lead that game 3 to nothing in the bottom half of the second inning. Um, Patrick Corbin is pitching today for Washington, so they better get more than just three runs if they really plan on on winning that game. But that would be a little spunky if uh, the Nats could could win another series on the West Coast. They took two out of three from the Padres, and they got a chance today. I'm probably jinxing them right now. I got it up on the screen. It is three nothing Washington, bottom of the second. Mariners have runners at the corners with one out, so maybe here we go. We'll see if uh, Patrick Corbin implodes in the bottom half of the second inning with a three to nothing lead. We'll keep you updated on that. Those are the only two day games today in Major League Baseball. Orioles and Reds have had a cool series up there. They're one one. They finished up tonight in Baltimore. Uh, Kyle Gibson's on the mound tonight for the Orioles. He's eight and five with a four three zero earned run average let me just look for a couple of other intriguing matchups tonight giants and blue jays in toronto that's a pretty good one of course my phillies in chicago tonight aaron nola's on the mound for philadelphia they look to keep pace with atlanta and the marlins before going to atlanta are in boston 
there's kind of some synergy there. You know, the old Boston Braves obviously used to be in Boston before uh, going to Milwaukee and then to Atlanta, and they're playing the Boston Red Sox uh, tonight. So Marlins and Red Sox at 7-10 tonight as well. All right, that kind of gets you updated on the uh, baseball for this afternoon. Brings us to our break at a quarter to five. I'm going to start getting into the scheduling stuff in college basketball when we come back on the other side of the timeout. 3 nothing. Washington leads Seattle. They're in the bottom half of the second. The Mariners are threatening. I'm making this sound like an afternoon World Series game or something um, with runners at the corners and one out. All right, back to more of uh, the college talk, the college basketball schedule stuff that came out today. We'll touch on that next on the Sports Huddle. America greets the half-court shot at the buzzer that wins it all. College football's rivalry week and walk-off homers that win the game. Have a safe and happy July 4th holiday from all of us here at 1061 ESPN Richmond. I can't resist. Here come the Nationals, everybody. Patrick Corbin got out of the jam first and third with one out. Got a strikeout and a pop-up and got out of it. That's lead the Mariners 3-0. They go to the third. All right, on to this college basketball stuff. I alluded to this yesterday. You know, sometimes we do get things right on this show. And yesterday I kind of teased, gave a little foreshadowing, you know, had a little inside track that the Atlantic 10 would be announcing the men's basketball pairings. Um, today, meaning who you were going to play at home, who you're going to play on the road, and which four teams you're going to play twice. You're going to play home and home. Uh, so I mentioned that yesterday. Yeah, I had a little insight on that. Not, it's the, not that it's the biggest scoop in the world. And, uh, you know, I wasn't going to be the spoiler. I wasn't going to tell you who it was that Richmond or VCU was going to play twice, home and home, that sort of thing. So here's the deal on this. This isn't as much about competitive advantages or disadvantages, especially in this day and age with the transfer portal. Who knows who's going to be good? Everybody thinks they got the greatest transfers in the world and they got the best freshmen coming in. Um, but the teams have changed so dramatically that who knows if, you know, Fordham or Loyola or Duquesne is going to be what they were, either good or bad, last year. This is more about, if you're a fan, who you're going to get to see in your arena who you're going to watch on TV when you're on the road, what games are close you might be able to get to, and which teams does your team have to play home and home. So here we go in the A-10. And let's start with Richmond. We're the home of the Spiders here. Of course, you'll hear the games on 106.1 ESPN right, right here again this season. So in Richmond's case, they kind of got the regional package. And whether that's good or bad, I don't know. But from a travel perspective – and a regionalization perspective, I think it's pretty good for the Spiders, no matter how good or bad they're going to be with all the new faces they have and the teams that they're going to play. But the four teams that they're going to play twice this year, of course, VCU, that happens every year, Davidson, George Mason, and George Washington. So those four are home and home. So I think for all those schools, that's a really good thing. That's about as regionally compact geographically compact as you can possibly get i think those teams are going to be good i mean vcu with ryan odom and all the international guys and the guys he brought from utah state i mean i think they're going to be good same thing can be said at george washington they have an influx 
of transfer talent. George Mason has a new head coach in Tony Skeen, and um, you know they brought in some transfers, and they've kept some of their top players as well. And Davidson, you know, second year now for Matt McKillop. What's he going to do there? So again, from a competitive standpoint, it's really not part of the conversation just yet. I think it can be a little bit. But who knows how those teams are going to be. So those are the four home and home for Richmond. Davidson, George Mason, George Washington, and VCU. Um, If you're a Spider season ticket holder or a Richmond student or a Richmond alum, Richmond fan, the other teams come to the Robin Center uh, this year in the A-10. Dayton, really attractive one there. LaSalle, UMass, St. Bonaventure, and St. Joe's. So here's what that means to me as a play-by-play guy for the Spiders, who crisscrosses the country with them and loves doing it. Uh, There's no trip to Philly this year. Um, Sorry about that, being a Philly guy. Um, But both LaSalle and St. Joe's come to the Robin Center. I wish they would split that up. Like last year, we went to Philadelphia twice. And this coming year, we don't go at all because LaSalle and St. Joe both come to the Robinson. No trip to Olean and no trip to Amherst. And I am really happy about both of those. Those are hard places to get to. They're usually cold, snowy, gray. They're not my favorite trips. I love the people, particularly at St. Bonaventure. um, But it's a tough place to get to. It's a tougher place to play. Um, UMass has been pretty downtrodden. Over the last several times we've been there, I know Frank Martin's trying to elevate them back up, but I'm really glad that UMass and St. Bonnie are coming to Richmond rather than us going there. So that makes the away games Duquesne, uh, which is fine, and Greg Beckwith being a Pittsburgh guy, he'll love that trip. Uh, We go to the Big Apple for Fordham. Really looking forward to going to Loyola. Uh, That's one even after all these years. I've never been there because it's a new team in the Atlantic 10 in Chicago, so looking forward to that trip. Rhode Island. And St. Louis, and those are two of my favorite places to go, are URI and St. Louis. Great arenas, great areas. St. Louis, great city where we stay in Rhode Island and Newport. Tremendous um, area up there. So I'm actually okay with that. I kind of like the way the schedule uh, falls for Richmond. Again, I'm not even talking competitively here. I'm, I'm just talking about who you're playing, where you're playing them, and who you're playing twice. So I like from the Richmond perspective what the Spiders got out of the Atlantic 10. Now, I do think it could be argued that VCU got a tougher draw. Um, You know, and I'm going to talk a little out of both sides of my mouth because I think these teams are going to be better. I'm not really sure, but from a travel perspective, and I realize we're chartering, Richmond's chartering, VCU's chartering, but you're still going to these places, and they're tough places to play. Um, But the same will be held true for them coming to the Siegel Center as well. So the four teams that they got paired with, that VCU will play home and home are Dayton, uh, St. Bonaventure, St. Louis, and of course, Richmond. So they're going to have to go to Dayton. They got to go to St. Bonnie. They got to go to St. Louis. Uh, that's, that's a pretty tough um, four team quadrant, if you will, of teams that they've got to go play. Of course, the rivalry game um, with the Spiders. So for VCU, the home games, Duquesne, George Washington, Loyola, Rhode Island, and St. Joe's. On the road, they go to Davidson, they go to Fordham, Mason, LaSalle, and UMass. So, again, the four home-and-homes for the Rams, Richmond, Dayton, St. Bonnie, St. Louis, and then their home games at the Siegel Center, Duquesne, GW, Loyola, URI, St. Joe's, and they're traveling to Davidson, Fordham, Mason, LaSalle, and UMass. The travel is probably a little more challenging for VCU than it is 
for Richmond um, just because of the way that schedule plays out, plus knowing you're going um, to Dayton, St. Bonnie, and, and St. Louis as part of the home-and-home. Home. So uh, there you go. I, I actually thought it was fun to take a look at it today and to take a look at both VCUs and at Richmond. And like I said, for those of us uh, you know, like Robbie Robinson for VCU and myself um, for Richmond and for Greg Beckwith and Rodney Ashby of the Rams, well, that's what we're looking at. We're like, where are we traveling to? Who's coming into our building? We don't know dates yet or anything like that, but you now know which opponents you're playing twice. Uh, it was kind of fun today um, for that for that to come out. So I appreciate the Atlantic 10 doing that, uh, or a little bit earlier today, just a couple hours ago, um, they, they put that out. Right, I'm going to stop there because there's more college basketball news, and this one's even more specific. The matchups are set for the uh, ACC-SEC challenge with the dates as well. So I'm going to run down that in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll do that at the start of hour number two of the sports huddle because there was a decent amount of scheduling news today with uh, the A-10 announcing the the opponents and then um, ACC, SEC challenge. I think there's some pretty neat matchups there. I think they did a pretty good job with who's playing who, including both of our Virginia schools, both Virginia and Virginia Tech. So if you haven't seen it yet, it's been all over Twitter and all over social media. But we'll get into that to start the 5 o'clock hour. Um, Wrapping up the 4 o'clock hour. Again, thanks to Dan Lust today for coming on, our sports attorney, kind of clearing a few things up regarding the NCA memo about you got to follow their rules as opposed to state legislation when it comes to NIL. Hopefully a federal mandate is coming down the pike before too long. We are coming up on an ESPN Sports Center update at 5 o'clock. We'll talk some more basketball scheduling and some other good sports stuff on the other side of the top of the hour break. Thank you for locking in with us on a Wednesday afternoon. Sports Huddle, 1061 ESPN. Are you ready for this?